Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Welcome to the podcast. This is the 66th episode, and today we're actually going to be talking about something we haven't talked about on the podcast before. So a few weeks back, I talked about how I felt there was a few topics that are kind of standard winter fly fishing fare as far as things to discuss on podcasts, write about in articles, read in magazines, things like that. The first is gear. This is the time of year when the new gear is rolled out and the time of the year that people are looking to buy new things because as they go to put away or clean their old stuff, they realize it's not in great shape. So gear is a great thing to talk about. And we did talk about that. We also talked about winter fly fishing tactics. A few different winter fly fishing tactics podcasts and articles have obviously come out in the last few months on castingacross.com. The third thing I said that was standard winter fly fishing content fair is fly tying and at that time I was a little bit skeptical about doing that just because on my initial thoughts I didn't really want to do 20 minutes on fly tying for a few reasons it's so incredibly visual but at the same time I'm not an expert fly tire so you're saying I've already listened to a minute and 30 seconds of your podcast about fly tying and you're not an expert fly tire well I'm not but I'm also past that beginner stage and probably past that intermediate stage. I'm certainly not an expert, but I know how to do a number of things. And I am actually following the lead of a comment that I got on the website. Back last month in January of 2020, Alex responded to one of the podcasts and he said, if you do end up doing an episode about fly tying, I would love to hear something along the lines of things you wish you knew before you started tying or any quick advice for those looking to get into it. And Alex had a great idea, and so I'm incredibly thankful for him because this is exactly the kind of fly tying podcast I think I can speak to. There's certainly others that can give similar information, but what I want to do today is share three things that I wish I knew 
before I got into fly tying. So I've done a couple of these articles uh, and podcasts before, especially three things that I wish I knew when I got into fly fishing. And so I wanted to take that approach and that spin on fly tying today and talk about a few of the things that when I started, and I've started and stopped a number of times, and there's a long period of not tying, actually a few long periods of not tying, in the two decades or so that I've been fly fishing. And so I've gotten to a point now where I'm tying more consistently. I'm tying with my kids. They really enjoy it. It's forcing me to think about how to communicate about fly tying and not just with my hands because doing hands-on with somebody is important, but then you have to take that next step back and simply use your words and describe things that are very, very um, intricate details, uh, how to describe fine motor skills, and I really have to think about that. Explain how a feather is moving on a hook. Explain how thread wraps are moving along a shank. And uh, consequently, I feel like I've gotten to a point with my fly tying where I might not be a better fly tire than I was, but I understand some concepts a lot better. So all that to say, I feel like this is a good time to talk about three of the things I wish I knew when I started fly tying. And here's the first one, see it live. So there's a lot of opportunities to get out and see some live fly tying. Fly fishing shows almost always have fly tying exhibitors and fly tying demonstrations. Your local fly shop probably has a fly tying night. There might be a local Trout Unlimited or other conservation organization that holds fly tying events. But you also have opportunities to go to fly tying classes where you're paying. And I understand that not everybody's going to want to do that, but there are going to be a lot of benefits that come with going to something where you pay some money. I'm not saying that's the only way you can go, but oftentimes when you do that, you're going to get a lot more individualized instruction. You're not going to be just sitting and watching other people tie. You're going to be tying yourself and you're going to be getting maybe even hands-on instruction. That is incredibly beneficial, and it's something I wish I would have done back when I was a teenager and I started to tie. Because even back then, this was before YouTube, online videos were in their fledgling stages where you had to download a whole video, and even then it was only 30 seconds, 45 seconds, and it was ridiculous stuff, people falling off skateboards and things like that, but there wasn't a lot of fly tying content to be had. I remember my first fly tying exposure to how to do things was in books with illustrations. There were books that I ended up getting my hands on that had photographs, but even then, they were great for seeing patterns and seeing recipes, but you didn't get the same sort of conceptual technique detail that you get seeing it live. Now, of course, today in 2020, and really for the last 10, 15 years, you've been able to get onto YouTube, and there is a wealth of incredibly high quality resources out there. I think Tightline Productions and Trout and Feather are probably two of the top ones that spring to mind. And there's a lot of other really good ones out there, but production value, seeing clear imagery of the techniques is incredibly helpful because really that's what you're looking for. You're looking for techniques. And this is where I think going to a class not that a YouTube video is not going to be helpful, not that a book isn't going to give you some ideas, but going to a class or at least some sort of event where you're going to get some instruction is going to help you with those techniques. Simple things that once you figure it out, it makes sense, but the little tips and techniques for the most basic parts of tying flies, 
that you're going to use for trout, for bass, for saltwater, for salmon, across the board, being able to see that in 3D and not just see the hook or the thread or the materials, but that person's hands as they're interacting with that, it can be very, very helpful. And so what happens is you immediately get to start tying flies with somebody to correct you so you're not developing those bad habits. You're not doing those things that might prove very frustrating when you get home and you're trying to figure out where does the thread go? How do I create a dubbing loop? How do I palmer this hackle? Where should I start my wings so that I leave enough room for a head on this dry fly? And all of those things which you may understand or may not understand, those are incredibly helpful moments when you're watching somebody do it or they're watching you do it and they can say nope you can't do it right there you got to move back another little bit a couple thread wraps there you go that's where you want to do it it's the same thing with anything in life but especially in fly fishing it's one of the benefits to having someone show you how to cast a fly rod so i wish i would have gone and found somebody to show me how to tie flies if it meant volunteer program or if it meant paying for it it would have been very very beneficial Secondly is good materials. So the easiest access point for fly tying is probably to go to a Bass Pro Shop or a Cabela's or someplace like that or online and buy the beginner fly tying kit and it gives you everything you need. And it gives you dozens and dozens of little Ziploc packages of all sorts of goodies. And it feels like you're getting a lot of stuff but really when you look into it and you kind of drill down into what you're getting, the tools are generally not super great, but you can get by with most of those tools. I mean, the vise might not have a whole lot of uh, tension on that hook and the bobbin might be a little bit flimsy. You're not going to be able to have the thread control you like and the scissors aren't going to be super sharp, but you can definitely make do. But where I think things really struggle is materials. And it's because you're getting the beginner level materials. And so you're getting 50 different things. You're getting maybe a handful of peacock curls and you're getting a couple inches of pheasant tail and you're getting, you know, six inches of monofilament for making a couple of weed guards for bass flies. And you're getting four saddle hackle feathers and you're getting a couple neck feathers for uh, hackles. And those are all things that you need to start to learn the basic techniques for tying flies but they're usually not of high quality. And this leads to a bunch of problems. For example, tying a dry fly that looks decent with some of the feathers that you get in these beginner kits only works if you're tying a dry fly in like a size four, some enormous looking bug. And it's probably because they're expecting you to use the same hackle feathers for your dry fly as you are for your streamer and so the sides are a little bit wonky and so that leads to frustration similarly you might get some really ratty bucktails so tying bucktail streamers although it takes a lot of work to perfect it's a pretty easy access point but you get these really short bucktails and these ones that are incredibly curvy and they're very difficult to work with for somebody who knows what they're doing they know that those particular furs and feathers have applications and they have fly recipes that will work for a short curvy bucktail for example but for somebody who is starting off you want a longer and a more supple and a straighter hair fiber and you're not going to get those in those beginner kits 
You're also probably going to get things that aren't dyed especially well. You're going to notice that your fingers turn purple and red as you're handling some of these materials. Now, is this a tried and true rule? Is this across the board a fact? No, you can probably get into some pretty quality materials, but you're not going to get the best stuff out there. So what do you do? Well, if you go to those events or you have friends that tie, you getting two feathers for tying hackles for dry flies in like a size 10 or 12, you're going to have much more success and much less frustration if you just can tie one or two flies and say, okay, I get how this is supposed to work because I have the right feather for the job. I have the right dubbing. I don't have this just nylon thick dubbing to make bodies for flies, but I actually have a quality blended dubbing, even if it's just like a, a, a marble's worth or a, a golf ball's worth that maybe you get from somebody or maybe you go to the fly shop and you do spend $3 on that little package of dubbing or $3 on a couple of feathers. You know, That might sound like a lot, but having good materials is so very helpful when it comes to working with some more finicky techniques. So dubbing, using some of the really cheap, chintzy, synthetic dubbing materials that can come in these fly tying kits or really low grade hairs masks that you get and they're fun to look at because it's a face of a critter but really low grade stuff where the fur is really matted down and you kind of have to get in there and it takes a lot of work to get out some of those under body fibers or those those furs it's going to be a lot more work for somebody learning how to dub a body learning how to tie in some of these basic materials that you need to be worrying about the technique not how pretty it is, but some materials can really inhibit you from learning those techniques well. So like I said, you go to tying event and there's a good chance somebody will give you a feather, give you a little bit of dubbing, give you a couple of hooks. I'm not saying that you should be a mooch, but as you get involved with other folks that are tying, whether they're your friends or whether they're people you're meeting, there's a good chance that you're going to be able to get a little bit of material here, a little bit of material there, and that kind of stuff will help you exponentially as you figure out what kind of flies you like to tie, what techniques you enjoy. You're not going to become a master of all fly tied techniques immediately. There's going to be some things that you're really drawn to, but between having experience with somebody else's high quality materials and then going and just buying these three, four, five different materials that you now know that you enjoy working with and you know how to use and you're familiar with, even to the point of somebody saying, hey, I'm going to let you you know, have a little bit of this to try to tie this fly with me. And you say, well, what brand is this? And they say, where'd you buy it? And so you go to the fly shop and you buy that exact thing. 350 495 something like that. But now you have a material that you know is of high quality that you can use well. I would say the other thing too is hook quality. Not a lot of these kits have excellent hooks. Does that mean that you need the top of the line hooks to tie flies and to catch fish? No, but I've run across more hooks with defects in especially the hook eye and then sometimes even uh, irregular hook shanks in some of these beginner fly tying kits so it's something just to look out for i'm not bad mouthing it it's just they are really meant to kind of appeal to everybody and just give people a taste but there are some significant drawbacks so first thing is seeing it live second thing is good materials and thirdly is this if at first you don't succeed tie tie again that's lame that's cheesy but here's what i mean by it 
one of the more frustrating things in fly tying is the first time you try a new pattern that utilizes new techniques or techniques that you're not particularly comfortable with. And what you'll do is you will fight and you will fuss and it'll take 10 minutes to tie one small little trout fly and it comes out looking just hideous. I mean, the, the dubbing is all wadded up in one spot. You can see thread all over the place. The tail fibers are sticking up at crazy angles. The wing cases come separated as you're trying to whip finish in the head, and the head happens to go over the eye of the hook, and it's just abysmal. Well, first of all, a reminder to you, you're trying to catch trout. You're not trying to catch PhD candidates. So as long as you can get that tippet through the eye of that hook, it probably has some value. So keep that in mind. Secondly, like I said, if you first don't succeed, tie, tie again. Try it again. Your ability to make corrections and changes is significantly higher immediately after that failure than it is if you come back to it 24 or 48 hours later. You're going to have a lot more muscle memory and comprehension for what you're doing to avoid or make the same mistakes that you just made if you try to tie that second fly. So I would say, make yourself a rule. I'm going to try to tie four of these. I'm going to try to tie a half dozen or a dozen of these flies. A dozen flies, if, if you're trying to tie and you're a brand new fly tire and you want to make uh, Catskill style dry flies, a dozen flies is going to be frustrating and they're going to be ugly, but maybe six, maybe four. But you keep at it, and you're going to see some of those deficiencies start to slide away. Now, are they going to be professional Instagram fly shop quality? Probably not. But I bet fly number three is going to look a lot better than fly number one, and fly number six is going to look a lot better than fly number three. And by the time you get to like maybe fly eight or ten, it's going to look incredibly different than fly number one did. And it's that incremental progress that you're looking for, and that comes with repetition. As with anything, repetition is going to build competence, and you're seeing that is going to build confidence. So I would say, don't give up. If that first fly is just ugly as sin, then keep trying and set yourself a goal. I'm going to tie six of these, no matter how they look. And you know what? If they look totally awful and you're embarrassed to have them in your fly box, have another fly box and throw them in there bare minimum so you can look back on you know in a couple months or maybe a couple years and say look at these flies that I tied look how horrid they are and then guess what they're good for if you have that local pond and you're fishing for bluegill not to say that bluegill are completely indiscriminate and they they don't care and they they don't discern good food from bad food but you have kids throw a very poorly tied coachman or humpy on there and you're going to catch fish regardless I would even say that a lot of trout aren't going to be too terribly discerning. So those flies aren't useless. And if they are terrible, I know a lot of guys will just take a razor blade to it. And as long as you come at it with a good angle and a sharp razor blade, you go right across the top of that hook all the way down the shank from the hook bend towards the eye. And by a couple of slices and a little bit of brushing away, you've got your hook back. And you're out a couple of materials, but the grand sum total of what you're wasting is probably something in the range of five to ten cents so it's really not uh, worth fussing about so keep trying so those are the, the the three things that i would say the three of the first things that i i thought of there's more and i'll probably save them for another podcast but see it live and youtube is a good second option 
I wouldn't say it's perfect, but if you don't have a fly shop or some sort of group around you that ties, or that shop or that group doesn't really do instruction, they just kind of do hangouts, nothing wrong with that. That's something you definitely want to work your way into, but getting actual instruction is a great way to start. It's the first thing. Second thing is good materials, which your fly tying kit, your introductory beginner fly tying kit that you spent $59.99 on, it's not awful, but it's also not great. And so there's going to be some stuff in there that's good, but knowing people and being able to maybe borrow, you're not borrowing, you're taking, this doesn't sound very good, but you know, if you're able to get a little fuzz from their dubbing box or maybe one feather, you're able to see what high quality materials can actually do as far as the materials are doing what you want them to do. You watch a guy in the video or a girl in the video tie a fly with really high quality materials and you're messing around with this really stiff stemmed hackle and you're wondering why it's not behaving like you want it to. It's because it's a cheap feather. And so there are going to be some significant grades of the materials you're working with. So if you can get your hands on uh, some good materials, which even could be you going out and saying, I really, really want to tie this one particular fly. So you buy some high quality marabou, chenille. I don't know if there's bad chenille and good chenille, but chenille and saddle hackle and cone heads and size 10 streamer hooks. And you can now tie great looking woolly buggers because you have the right materials or whatever other fly you choose. So good materials. And then thirdly, if at first you don't succeed, keep on trying and keep on tying. Don't stop because of that initial frustration. You might find that you really don't like tying one particular type of fly, and that's fine. You don't like the, the, the traditional wet flies, for example. Those aren't very hard flies to tie, but you don't like them. You don't like working with synthetic materials. You only like working with naturals or vice versa. You don't like spinning deer hair. And all of those things, it might be because the way that your brain works, the way that your hands work, the way that your learning works, there's going to be an order of operations where once you dial in one technique, the next one is going to fall into line. And so some of these things that you try when you first start, even if you try six flies and you don't enjoy it, and it's not looking like you want it to look, circle back around to that fly or that technique a few months or maybe even a year after you started tying. And you might find that your proficiency with a bobbin and some scissors has improved to the point where now you can tie a fly that originally you thought you could never ever tie. So those are three things. There's a lot more out there that I wish I knew when I started fly tying. Are there any things that you wish that you knew when you started fly tying? If so, let me know in the comment section on this podcast's page on castingcross.com. This week's article's on the website, and once again, I've said this before, I write at castingacross.com every Monday and Wednesday, and this podcast is the Friday post for all intents and purposes. So if you know Casting Across from the podcast, I would really encourage you to go check out the website where I write because I started this podcast 66 weeks ago, but I have three and a half years of articles on the website. But this week's articles are Rusty Flybox, Casting Matters, and this is three articles from the archives about casting instruction. Uh, two of them are about uh, casting instruction proper, and one's about how casting impacts your rod choice. The next article is called Cape Crusaders, Fly Fishing's Signature Shirt. Every once in a while, you have an idea that's pretty dumb, but that you say, you know what, this might turn into something. I'm not sure what this has turned into, 
there's a lot of people that have read it so far, and I posted it this morning, and I'm recording this evening, and it seems like a lot of people are reading it, but it is a, an attempt at humor, and it is focused on one of those parts of fishing and fly fishing and even middle-class suburbia culture that is ubiquitous. It's all over the place, and there's a ridiculous picture of me uh, wearing this object. So check those articles out at castingacross.com. This week's recommendation might be a little bit discordant from the rest of the podcast in that the podcast was talking about new fly tires. And this week's recommendation is the Loon Outdoors UV Infinity Light, which is a UV light for curing UV fluids that are used for different purposes in fly tying. That is not necessarily an advanced fly tying technique. In fact, it's incredibly simple. But this tool is a little bit of an investment if you're just getting started. But if you are going to be tying a lot, it is an incredibly useful tool for a few reasons. First, it is big and it is bright. So it's not some tiny little flashlight the size of your pinky. You have to move around a lot to cure whatever resin you might be using. You just click it and it's going to hit it. You just got to move your fly 360 degrees, but you don't have to move the whole thing around a lot. Secondly, it charges via USB. You just plug it into your computer or into your phone charger connector on the wall or whatever you might have that takes a USB connector and you you don't have to mess with batteries. It's not going to run out on you. It's either on or off and you just plug it in and you can use it but it's a actual sturdy flashlight, which is kind of nice. It fits in your hand. You don't have to pinch it and be all dainty with it. It isn't inexpensive, but it's not that much more expensive than some of the nicer small ones, and it's very, very powerful. So I'll put a link on the show notes of this page on castingacross.com, but I highly suggest not just the Loon UV Infinity Light, but their line of resins, be they clear or colored, different thicknesses. I've been playing with some of the colored resins recently, putting some hot spots and some wing cases and things like that on some nymphs and other flies. There's a lot of fun and it gives you something different to do. And again, not a super difficult technique. So if you are a new fly tire, this is something you can probably implement relatively quickly once you begin fly tying. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.